0: Doves Podcast. This is Jared doing a solo episode today, a solo pod. Ed uh is off doing something that Ed does, and you know, those are always mysterious, strange things, and we don't dive too deep into that. But I am thrilled today, really, really excited to interview our our next guest. Um, I'm a big fan of him. This is Mr. Rob Harvilla. Rob is a senior staff writer at The Ringer, which is a great pop culture and sports uh, website. A lot of great reporting there. He's also the host, more importantly to our purposes today, of the great podcast 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, which is now well into the 80s, I believe, right? Or is it the 70s, the 80s? We just crossed 80. I believe the 80th one came out today. Oh, the one, I lose, the Lisa Loeb I lose track. Lisa Loeb is 80. Yes. Lisa Loeb is 80. Very Appropriately, good. Yeah. Uh, Rob has also written uh, for The Village Voice. He's written for Spin, for Dead Deadspin, uh, uh, a bunch of other places. Uh, he lives out in Ohio, uh, and uh, he's taken some time out of his busy schedule to talk with us today about Prince and his show, and uh, we're so glad he's here. Rob, thanks for joining us on One Dove's Podcast. I'm
1: thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You know, Midwestern podcasters gotta stick together, in my opinion. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's do it. I'm I'm really excited to be
0: here, man. That's awesome. Thank you so much. So uh, first of all, I do want to talk about your show, which is 60 Songs Explain the '90s." Uh, I really am legit a big fan of it. I've listened to uh, I think every episode to date, and maybe I've missed one Ooh. or two along the way. Yikes. But I I wanted to ask you this. Um, you know, the show you You're taking very specific tracks throughout that decade and sort of breaking them down. You have guests that come on and talk to you about the tracks after the fact. But it seems to me, that the show is in many ways the autobiography of Rob Harvilla. Is that true? Is there truth to that <laughs> statement when I just said?
1: <laughs> I did not start the show that way, but the show has become that somehow. Yeah. You know, I I had never done anything like this before. And I started it, and I still sort of do it the same way that I would write an article, right? You open up a Google Doc. Right. You know, you write it. And I thought at first, it's just, I'm going to write it and then read it. That's the only difference. But I the voice the tone, the vibe that sort of organically developed over the first 20 to 30 episodes was like, I kept talking more about myself, right? Yeah. Like, and I've, I've never really done that in my writing because there's no reason to. Like, no one's interested, obviously. You know, I'm just reviewing, you know, Alana Del Rey or a Drake record or whatever. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to hear about my day. Right. But something about this, something about saying it out loud and the feedback that I started to get, like the more parasocial aspect, like this yeah. is the most feedback that I've gotten on anything I've done by orders of magnitude yeah. and something about that loop. I just started bringing in more of myself, like very cautiously, and I'm still doing it cautiously. Like I'm, I'm still very, it may not sound like it, but I am like, I don't want to be overindulgent. You know, I don't want to overshare, which I I feel like I have decent enough boundaries there, but I just didn't think that it would be like this, that I would be talking about, you know, like the girls who I liked in grade school or whatever. I just, I could never conceive that this is where I would end up. But I, I think what I finally hit on is like, you know, nostalgia being the obvious sort of foundation of this thing. It's not that I'm inherently interesting because i inherently, I am not, but I, the theory at least is that me sharing fairly mundane pedestrian memories of my youth stirs up in people, their own, you know, mundane pedestrian memories. You know, it's like, it's the same principle as songwriting. Like the more personal the song is, the more universal it somehow becomes like that sort of magic trick. That's what, how songwriters do it. In my case, I just, It's just the thing of somebody talking about themselves, get you thinking, gets you thinking about yourself, you know, and like that loop somehow just presented itself as like the direction I should move in and the place where I am now. It's very strange. I did not come into this planning to talk about myself
0: really at all, but that's
1: where I ended
0: up. Well, listen, for, for whatever it's worth, uh, I think that it's the, it's really the secret sauce to the success of the show you know Hmm. you know not unlike songwriting uh i think that the key to podcasting in fact uh is is revealing uh things about oneself because that's what those are the things that people relate to um i I, I, my friend ed and i who's you know ed's the co-host of the show ed miller uh we uh, i am certain say too much i'm just positive of it, <laughs> but we okay. do but we do yeah. and and uh that's what i think people are drawn back into as well as you know yeah. talking about something that they want to that they want to learn about and i i'm only a couple of years older than you so i'm yeah. very much too a child of the 90s in terms of mm-hmm. you know pop music rock and roll music etc etc so whenever yeah. you dive deep into a song uh, whether it's um, I don't know, like when you did, you recently did. Uh, Today was a good day by Ice Cube, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm able to fall right back into that moment when I heard it for the first time. Uh, yeah. myself. And I feel well, like that's, that's cool. the secret. The secret little sousent of your of your show.
1: Yeah, very occasionally people say to me, like, "Yeah, we had a road trip, right? Like, the people were driving on the Pennsylvania Turnpike." As you're yeah. aware, it's like it's like it's like. Two thousand miles long. It's hundred you know,
0: million miles long. It's yeah, it's, it's awful. Incredible. It's it's, it's
1: I, I have nothing against Pennsylvania as a state. The turnpike is terrible. But people are like, yeah, we listened to you on a road trip, and there's this something. So unbearably intimate to me about that idea that people are listening to my voice as they're driving and there might actually be multiple people in the car. It's just that's a sensation that I had never associated in any abstract way with like my writing again. And it's just something about my voice, people listening to my voice that also helps that sense of intimacy. But I think you're absolutely right that it's just the more you share you know, the closer you bring them, you know, into, into your world, you know, and the more apt they are to share with you, the listener, and the more it gets them thinking about their own personal stuff that they wouldn't share with anyone. Like, it's just, it's it's a very dangerous, you know, volatile thing, nostalgia, right? You don't want to overdo it, obviously, you know, and I'm also sort of continually concerned about that. But I, yeah, just, just something about the way that music specifically, like a song will just bring you right back there, you know, and listening yeah. to somebody else talk about a song apparently might bring you right back there as well
0: that I think that's very true. i I, I think um you know the the one of the many things about music in particular is that it does have uh, in, in almost immediate intimacy for for the listener yeah. for the for the real serious fan. And of course there are people, you know, people who are professional like you who who have spent their whole careers writing about music in a more, you know, whatever analytical way of of framing it. But there yeah. the, the the intimacy of the storytelling I think correlates to the intimacy that the listener has for that song i mean i know that's right. certainly true for me where there are yeah. songs i will listen to and i appreciate when you say this like you know uh, we're going to talk in a minute about you did an episode about nothing compares to you that sinead did we're going to talk about that but mm-hmm. I, I i appreciate you saying how you know you listen to that track and there are moments that make you tear up there are I don't know how many countless songs that I will listen to in the privacy of my car in the privacy of my headphones. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. I'm unexplicably weeping yeah. <laughs> in public mm-hmm. and people, are, Oh man, what's wrong with that guy? Yeah. So uh, there, it's there, music, there, yeah. there is an intimacy to that. That is very real. So Rob, I have found that in listening through the show, even though you have yet to do a Prince track specifically, mm-hmm. like a one that he, that he recorded is what I'm saying. It yeah. does seem like he comes up a lot. Throughout, yes. you know, and what tell me about that? What do you why do you think <laughs> that is? Um, you know, because for so many people, I think in the public uh, mind, his 90s was a bit of a, of a wasteland for him, or he was lost in the wilderness or something. What What do you what do you think about that and his pervasiveness? And when you when you when you find him when you're doing research for your show? It was
1: the Janet Jackson episode where I realized that, like, I I can't understate the degree to which 80s MTV is like the foundation of like not only my music appreciation, but like my personality. <laughs> like I was just it was just un, right. ungodly important to me and influential on me, like 80s yeah. MTV, like yeah. all of it. You know, yeah. I just it was yeah. it was on all the time. I was absorbing all of it. You know, I'm out in I'm mostly in Eureka, Missouri, you know, like a suburb of St. Louis. You know, I moved to Ohio when I'm, you know, I think in sixth grade, but I just MTV was everything to me. And so the biggest stars on MTV in the 80s were everything to me. And so that means Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Madonna, yep. you know, Bruce Springsteen to some degree, you know, Guns N' Roses as we get later in the decade, like Talking Heads and oh, Prince. Yeah. Yeah. Bowie. Bowie. Uh yeah. I mean, yeah, there's obviously like 15 to 20 more, sure. but like Prince Prince was top five in that category. You know, yeah. like just the When Doves Cry video, you know, I can summon up. I do not have a photographic memory, but I have a photographic memory for Prince videos, right? right. And so yeah. I it's very interesting then to do a show about the 90s where Michael Jackson, you know, Madonna, you know, Janet Jackson's on the cusp here, but like they didn't do their best work. you know. This wasn't their most, this wasn't their peak commercial or critical power, but they're still hugely important to the nineties, you know? And so much of what happened in the nineties was a reaction to them and the reaction to them as superstars, like in the eighties and still in the nineties, like it's, it's weird to have them, be background figures on one hand, but still like the monsters of the universe on the other, right? And and Janet Jackson is Janet Jackson, right? Like I just I have the control and rhythm nation songs, videos, you know, iconography, like just burned into me. And it was so gratifying to grapple with her specifically in the nineties, like the velvet right. rope I'd always understood was like a very important, maybe her best record, like the critical I can, I knew how important that record was, but like, I felt it finally, you know, doing that deep dive, you know? And so right. Prince is another one like that, right? I, you're right. that no one who is listing, you know, their top five Prince records, you know, it's not going to be all nineties. It could very possibly like almost probably be like no nineties at all. Right. Likely, likely, likely. It's a very strange, you know, and that's, that's a testament first and foremost to how ungodly dominant he was in the eighties. Like there is no nineties artist who has an equivalent of that run in my opinion. And so, but still, I think in the same way that, you know, I don't know if he has a velvet rope, per se from the nineties. But I do think that his catalog specifically in the nineties is just a fascinating document of people reacting to him and him reacting to the nineties. Like I've been listening, there's more rap than I remember, right? There's more rap on like an album, like diamonds and pearls. Tony M. Tony M. Yeah. I always think of him as not Chuck D. Like for (laughs) the first second of my, is that Chuck D? No. It's not Chuck D. I no offense to him is like his own personality, but like it's, it's, it's very, it's fascinating to watch him watch hip hop. Yeah. Start to take over and like the hip hop and R and B, you know, yeah. fusion or the, the, Im- the imminent dominance of rap over R and B, as some people would say, and just watching people react to Prince and watching Prince react to what the changing times. Right. And yeah. I think that when people think of him in the nineties, They'll think of the hit songs and like Diamonds and Pearls, you know, the song, you know, Get Off, Cream, Seven. I just listen to Seven and Seven is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like just that that chorus, that melody, like it's yeah. just, it's so perfect. But I, people think about, right, like the the buttless chaps at the VMAs, They right, do, you know, but then the, the other thing that they think about and the thing that I think is really ripe for you know, we, we, we should look at it again and sort of recontextualize it is like the artist formerly known as Prince years, you know, painting right. slave on his face, you right. know, the symbol, you know, battling with his record label, like this stuff that I think was seen in real time, If you were a teenager, at least it's just like Prince being eccentric, you know, and just sort of goofing around. And this, I don't know if this really means anything, but with the fullness of time, like even like the Taylor Swift situation, right? You know, Jay Z talks about owning his masters. Like it's there's there's clearly a lot more substance to that period, and a lot more to say about the battle that he was fighting, you know, and like the principle he was fighting for. You know, I, I think there's a lot more there than people thought at the time where people would say, ah, oh, this is Prince being Prince or the artist being the artist or whatever. Like, But yeah, I Prince in the 90s, specifically in the 90s, I think is ripe for rediscovery, both the music itself and just sort of the cultural... And sort of industry shifts that he was trying to bring about, whether or not he succeeded, is another story. But I just there's a lot of material there, both musically, of course, and just sort of ideologically, almost.
0: I, 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 I we couldn't agree more. You know, we recently sort of uh, we've been doing our show, as you may know or may not. We do it, we do it by decades, and yeah, so we no, sort of wrapped yeah. up our our '90s decade recently, and um, the the breadth of material. <laughs> let's just look at that right it's it's it's, it's like it's overwhelming you, you uh, it is full albums back to back for god's sake that's right? the word you know overwhelming uh, is the word overwhelming is the word and when you wade through it um there wade are, is the word Wade yeah. is the word you're hip deep in it uh there <laughs> are there are songs that you you didn't even know existed mm-hmm. that are so exquisite That you think this would have been a giant hit any other any other moment in musical history. Um, But there's also a lot of filler. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of half thought out ideas, you know, but like you're so right uh, with with the music and the battle he was waging ideologically the things he was facing i mean like let's look at this for example as a brief as a brief example of this um his 1995 album the gold experience yeah that was the one and i love that album i think that's a a really excellent album maybe his best album of the 90s Hmm. uh that's the that's the album that has the most beautiful girl in the world on it which was his biggest hit in the 90s is that true
1: okay that's true yeah it was his biggest
0: hit and then uh it was subsequently shut down by a lawsuit from it, these Italian pop so- songwriters so for for it's it's available now but it, it was only until 2022 that you could even huh. find it again and like well, his wild. struggle against that I mean. which is interesting um yeah. so yeah there is there there it, it is worthy of exploration um because of nothing else it's interesting it's all interesting yeah. that was our experience with that
1: and I'm also curious, you know, I, you know, I work for Spotify or whatever, but right. I it's, to, to watch the way that the hit songs in real time, maybe harmonize with his most streamed songs. Like what emerges is the most popular song. So looking at this now, like, yeah, the most beautiful girl in the world is the most plays of anything from like, obviously his top 10 songs are just dominated by like right. the obvious sure eighties, you know, world dominating songs. But yeah, I, I would have guessed, what would I have guessed? I guess that makes sense. Like it's not going to be cream or
0: whatever. I would diamonds and pearls. Like diamonds and pearls, and pearls seven yeah, yeah. would be the ones. Maybe you'd guess. Um, you know, yeah, not get off, although that's a jam. Or sexy <laughs> motherfucker, although that's a jam. You know. <laughs> yes. No, I
1: guess that makes sense, but that's cool. I yeah, as you say, like there's just there's just beautiful songs buried in like not filler, you know, and sort of necessary chaos. Like the chaos is a huge part of the point. Like it's, you wouldn't actually love these songs as much as they were isolated and they were treated like big isolated hits, right? Like part of the appeal of these songs is that you wade through three albums of like great music, but like, that's very hard to absorb and sort of differentiate between like the, the hunt is such a huge part of the appeal of this era of Prince in particular.
0: Yes, very much so. That's, that's exactly right. I think that's correct. Now to, to, to move over to Sinead. Yeah. Um, I loved your episode about nothing compares to you. Uh, I'm, I, I am a Sinead fan. Um, i i mean i think her first two albums are as good as anything anybody ever did uh, pretty much i mean it's up there right absolutely Um, you know um with the research you did on that on that track um what did it and i want to like again i don't want you to be issuing opinions on no i know who did what and etc etc but what did you what did you walk away from or with rather with that research about the at the very minimum? I say this very, you know, very cautiously, the tempestuous relationship between Prince yeah. and Sinead. What 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 conclusions did you sort of draw from that? And, um you know, I love that you you end that episode or the, before you get to the interview section with Sinead saying this is my song now. Yes, and and yes. I, I I think most people would be hard pressed to argue that point. But I'm just curious, possible. yeah. What 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 are the conclusions you drew from that that research and and working on that on that particular episode? Yeah,
1: I mean that's a that was a brutal episode, not for me. You know, it's it's like, but like it's. That was a tough one. Her book is really tough. It's really tough. I got it right here. Remembering, you know, it came out a couple years. Okay. So it's, you know, from the very beginning, you know, like just the stuff with her mother, you know, just her childhood, like it's, it's a really tough book emotionally. It's just a really hard life. It's just an incredibly tough person. Yeah. You know, who before she ever entered the music industry, just knew who she was and knew what she wanted and just wasn't going to bow down for anybody. Clearly, like she shaved her head because, you know, her managers wanted her to look more well, girly. Girl. And so right. yeah. just everything, everything about Sinead O'Connor from the jump was the way that she wanted it, it and was, it was her reacting to what other people wanted her to be. And so I the first. Yeah, it's 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 tough to talk about and you don't want to feel like you're taking sides but like what i will say is like Sinead o'connor from the very beginning talked about her tempestuous relationship with prince right like this isn't something she came out with you know years decades after the fact she was clear from the beginning that they had very unpleasant interactions you know and and the story in full that she tells in the book about like going over to meet him, right? Yep, like he right. summons her. And it's 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 brutal. It's a really tough scene. And it's a tough scene because, like, you know, this better than anybody. Like, just the stories about people meeting Prince, right? You know, and you would start with Chappelle Show, right? Like, what makes that Chappelle show thing is like they play basketball. You know, and then he serves them pancakes. Like, there's something about all the stories that you read about going to Paisley Park. And it's just such a weird combination of, like, the majestic and the pedestrian, right? Right. Like, I heard beautiful music, and there were all these beautiful things. And then he served us pancakes, right? Like, there's something so simultaneously celestial and otherworldly, but also childlike about Prince. And so this scene is, like, he's got, like... A, a butler type dude with him. And he's trying to serve Sinead O'Connor soup. Right. Right. Like they're sitting at a table. It's like, right. eat the soup. And she's like, I don't want to eat the soup. And they're just going back and forth. And then they have a pillow fight. Right. He wants to have a pillow fight. And it's clear that there's something in his pillow. Like it's this weird combination of like a, it's like the horror movie version of the typical Prince encounter. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's awful. And then he's like, he chases her, like down the road in right? a car like she supposedly she claims a car, it a car. Yeah. right and i it's in the end at the bottom of everything you don't want to do this but like i believe this account i believe her honestly right. you know and it, it's 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 hard to make a statement like that you know about two people's varying accounts of something that happened whatever 20 30 years ago but like it's it's so detailed and so specific, and it harmonizes in such an awful way with other people's accounts of Prince, like the more whimsical, you know, meetings that they had with him. Like it's it's just it it it's real. It feels real. It feels true to right. me. And so then you have to do the thing that you're constantly doing with music. Like d- does this affect? my opinion of Prince, you know, does this affect the way I hear his music? Does this affect the way I think about this song? Like it's, it's the calculus you're doing with everybody all the time. And it's not as fraught and as awful, you know, a version of that conundrum as say Michael Jackson, for example, you right. know, but but even placing it on a spectrum feels really uncomfortable. Like the whole conversation is so uncomfortable, but okay. it's, it's, you got to just look in the face, you know, the fact that like, It's her song, you know, it's her song. And and I don't think there's any question of that. And I don't think Prince had any question about that. And I think that that's probably a huge amount of Prince's enmity toward her. Like the the stated reason he was mad at her was because she swore in interviews, right? Like I don't like, you know, the language that you're using in interviews. And it's just he's trying to control her because he knows that she now controls, you know, one of, I don't, one of his best songs, you know, like she has taken your song. She has made it an iconic, you know, number one, you know, era defining hit. And, you know, now I'm going to try and control this person, you know, like it's, it, 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 it's, 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 I'm just going to start rambling here, but it's awful. And it's, it's confusing, you know, and you have all these fonds, you know, memories of him and his music and it's so foundational to you. And and it's, it's hard to know how to react to something like that, when you read something like that and you come away thinking, like, I believe her. You know, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know if anyone knows what to do with that.
0: Well, I mean, this is it. And, you know, and, and I want to be clear uh, with what I'm about to say. I'm not also taking any sides in this. The, the thing that further complicates it for me yeah. is that, to your point exactly, in all the research and reading and all the things, I've, I, hmm. there, I have never seen a single other report. That says that Prince behaved this way to anyone. That doesn't mean right. He right? No, that just right. didn't do it. But uh that's what further complicates it because it seems like such an anomaly. Yes. Uh, at least to the to the public, you know, the public eye. Um mm-hmm. and so that's that's the other thing that makes it tricky. And you know, the other thing of too course. is that, you know, again, who knows what's what, but you know, Sinead's manager at that time was a guy named uh, Steve uh, Farnoli, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And he was formerly Prince's manager. And the there seems to be, you know, depending on what you read and what the source is and so forth, that there seems to be some question of the animosity that arose from the dissolution of his relationship with Prince to the relationship to Sinead and how much did that contribute? Was that the real reason for the anima? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. What do I know? I know nothing, but those are interesting questions to ponder, but it, it is um, it does complicate uh, the relationship even if it only was an isolated incident, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: No, I get you. I'd forgotten about that, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, foundationally, that's probably more a source of the tension, you know, than like the swearing, right? I I would think so. I would think you, so. it would make sense for him to object to that, but it would make more sense for there to be like a far greater, more severe, you know, business,
0: you know, or personal type issue yeah. underlying that. That makes right. absolute
1: sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, you know, and it's mm-hmm. interesting too. I have you seen this Sinead documentary? I, I haven't been able to watch it yet. I have not, no. Um I, no. It's, I don't even I, know. I've you know, sort
1: of read up on it. Yeah. I don't know if it is either, you know, but I definitely want to, when it comes out, I, you know, I've read about it, you know, certainly I know that the Prince estate did not let them use nothing compares to you, you know, right. which certainly complicates further complicates, you know, this kind of conversation, you know, there's, there's no telling what that's about. If that's them, if that's the estate specifically carrying on, you know, this, 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 tumultuous relationship between the two of them, or if this is the estate, you know, just on its own thing, you know, and it's entirely about money or whatever. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows right. anything? Who knows?
0: <laughs> right. Who knows? I mean, we supposedly it's his sister that's calling the shot. Right. And, right. and she said no, because it's really Prince's song and that's how we feel. You know, what I what I think is interesting from a musical standpoint, I'd be curious to hear your take on this, is that as you very rightly point out on your episode about this song, um, Prince you know, he gave it to the family first. His side project, the family. It wasn't mm-hmm. a hit, and then we have a, an earlier version of it that he recorded. Um, and then we have Sinead. It really, and then after the Sinead version, he re-records it live with Rosie Gaines, right. which is on the on the hits and the B sides, and that's the best mm-hmm. version that he did of it as a duet with Rosie Gaines. So sure. it felt it feels to me in retrospect. Uh, uh, and I'm be curious again, your take that that. Rerecording was an attempt to reclaim the song from Sinead because it happened of after, fact, right? Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I Or at the very least, to capitalize on the song's popularity, right? Again, didn't didn't the original version only come out posthumously? Like, wasn't that a big yes. deal? That yeah, the it was on, right.
0: Okay. Yeah, it yeah. was on the originals. Uh, it's called the originals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's what the name of that project is.
1: I don't know if I would say that it was an attempt to, like, supplant Sinead's version more yeah. than it was to sort of capitalize on its success. Right. You know, I th- th- this is all projection, of course. But, yeah, I, it's, it's hard for me to think that him sitting there in 1991, 1992 is like, I'm going to record a version of this song that's better than her version. And, like, <laughs> everyone's going to agree that it's my song again. Like, right. if that was a subconscious... Thought for him, but like even for him, I don't think that was very realistic at this point, but certainly I can see him thinking like this is now one of my greatest hits, you know, even if my version isn't the greatest hits version, you know, I should do my own version, at least to put on my greatest hits album. You know, like that's that's as close as I can get to getting him.
0: well Prince's he still wouldn't have made, man. I mean, I can't imagine how much money he made off the Sinead version, but he made a ton. So <laughs> that's like,
1: another good point. Yeah. You know,
0: he made a ton of money off of that. Um so so moving on from that, um what is your take on uh you know obviously it's complex, but he he really is one of the towering figures mm. of late 20th century in particular mm-hmm. popular music yes what is your take on prince's legacy where does he i mean saying things like this is ridiculous but i know we do stuff like this all the time where would he rank for you like huh. where where does he where does he live for you when you look back and and you think about the landscape of pop music
1: i mean i it's such a silly ringer way to to conceive of <laughs> these things but like he's a top 5 top 3 top 2 like top one artist for me all time, yeah. Easy. You know, if you if you think about the full scope of my life and my lifetime, yeah. You know, I I just I just don't think there's any question. Like, if you're like best album ever, Purple Rain is probably what I'm going to come back with. You know, eighty yeah. percent of the time, just as a knee jerk. Reaction. I just there's just no way to overstate that. Like I, I recently just went through chronologically and listened, started listening to him again. You know, and just going through the '80s is just it's just unreal. Yeah, it's just entirely unreal. Yeah, you know, like and and there's always a song that you always loved, but like you didn't fully appreciate the way you should, and like sometimes it snows in April. Uh. Just like. Knocked me on my ass, yeah, you know, for forty-eight hours when I right. came across it again. That's right. And so I, I don't think there's any question. You know, w- w- pick your, you know, you want to do Mount Rushmore? He's on Mount Rushmore. You know, you know, you want to do top five? He's easily top five, right? You know, all time in terms of dominance, in terms of influence. You know, and so I, I don't think there's any question. You know, and I, there is likewise no question that like the eighties is his prime you know, sure. which is, nope, it, I don't think anybody it, would
0: it, argue with that. No,
1: I think the nineties is there's a lot, there's a tremendous amount of, of wonderful stuff to discover, as you say, but there's a lot of noise to get through. And there's a lot of, you know, the distortion of like the label fight, etc. which again, right. I do think could use to be sort of re-examined, but like it was a lot more confusing to be a print super fan in the nineties. I'm imagining, you know, and just sort of reckon with like, he had a few, hit songs you know in the classic sense but it's more about you know like these two three cd like dumps you know yep. where you just got to dive in and sort of just figure out what's going on and from there you know it's you think about the rock and roll hall of fame while my guitar gently weeps thing you know it's just like one of the greatest guitar solos of all time like i think in arguably the greatest halftime show of all time i don't yep. think there's any real competition there so even you know in the 21st century or however you put it like even if you wouldn't take an individual album or an individual song released then as like his greatest work or like one of the defining songs or albums of that decade still he manages to have you know, sprinkled in there, you know, the greatest Super Bowl performance, the greatest guitar solo, like rock hall performance, however you want to classify that, Of you know, whatever that is, it's the best of whatever that is, right? Right. And so he, even if he's not putting out records, hit songs, whatever, on that level as a touring entity. And as like an individual, like viral moments entity, he's still Prince. Right. He's still top five. He's still Mount Rushmore. Right. Yeah. And then, and then he dies and it's, it's inconceivably awful. Yeah. You know, and, and I just, I will never forget, you know, where I was and like what I went, listened to first, you know, and just the, the phases of mourning, you know, and going back to the records and just watching everybody do that. Just the shock, you know, and the rediscovery, you know, and now he's on the hot, you know, 100, you know, billboard albums chart, like all of that, you know, like everyone goes back to Prince. Everyone just mainlines Prince music again, you know? So I, there's going individually and I love the way your show does it like going by decade, you know, like there are different princes for different decades and there are different levels of prominence and greatness, Obviously, but he just, even if it was on a smaller scale, even if it was only every so often toward the end, like he never stopped being Prince. And again, going back all the way to the eighties MTV era, the foundation that's still in my head, like Prince is Prince, you know, Prince is an Olympian God to me and always will be, even if he hasn't put out like my favorite record of 2005 or whatever, like Prince is Prince. Always and forever.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. And and I think, you know, something we talk about a lot, something I bring up is when you have one of these artists, and the the, the names that always come to me are um along with Prince are Dylan, Neil Young, uh the Stones, Bowie, these people with this huge right. discography. Mm-hmm. where it's a it's a fascinating journey to track those rises and falls the mm-hmm. experiments the weird you know conversions to Christianity or the or right. the conversions to uh electronic records or you know whatever it is that these huge artists are doing who are also so absurdly prolific um <laughs> uh you know and and so to me though that's always where you know as opposed to, you know, like the Beatles, who are so sacrosanct. And I don't get me wrong; of course, I love the Beatles. We all love the Beatles, but the Beatles were eight years, and it was over. Right, so it's, it's only right. There's only so much you can dive in anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of these other artists, and prints being the primary one for me at the moment, is there's so the, that. That uh, that Olympic sized swimming pool is 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 <laughs> really deep. There's just lots to a go into. Couple of them, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Rob, let me ask you this: as a as a Midwest kid, is there <laughs> do you do you find or is there a sense of any particular um, sense of of pride of ownership of anything like that? Because Prince is also a Midwest kid, is there anything about that 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 you that speaks to you? No, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, you even watch Purple Rain, right? Like yeah. you, the, the, the waters of Lake Minnetonka or whatever right. the quote is. Right. Like, you know, it's it's you uh, you are very eager to claim him. You know, God bless Minnesota, which is his own thing. But you are very eager as an Ohioan or a Pennsylvanian, I imagine, right. to claim him for the Midwest. And I think that's right. absolutely true. And I think that's a crucial part. Of his origin story, right? Like, again, like the mixture of the celestial, you know, and the the earthbound. Yeah. You know, just just the guy who wants to play basketball, you know, the guy who can put out Purple Rain, you know, like they they coexist. And the Midwest's origin story is a crucial part of that. And just to rewatch Purple Rain... And to mix like these, you know, these world historical, fantastic performances of like darling Nikki or whatever. And then he rides his motorcycle off into the Midwest, right? right. Like yeah. it's, it's such a crucial part of it for me. And again, growing up in the Midwest myself, like I, he wasn't from the Midwest when I was 10, he was from MTV, you know, I just, I right, do overstate right. this, right. Right. And I should right. probably even stop talking, but, but when you realize, and it's the same with Dylan, like where they're from. You know, you have that sense of pride, you know, yeah. and, and you you map like the winter onto him, right? Like you realize right. like Prince is living through winter right now, just like I am. He is living out winter in Paisley Park, you know, in his you know, his whatever his, his den of of, of sin and, and joy, but like he's still <laughs> he's just like me. He's just like me in that crucial. Respect. So no, absolutely. I think once you sort of grasp that he is, you know, canonically, you know, a Midwestern artist. You know, you can appreciate him in that light, you know, and you can associate him with the Heartland or whatever as as quickly as you would associate like Bruce Springsteen or whatever with the right. Heartland. Like he's right. an American, he's a Minnesotan, he's a Midwesterner.
0: It's yeah, very important. That's right. Do you, um this is a tough question, and I'll just throw it at you, uh just to hear your take. <laughs> Do you hear now, upon reflection, you go back and you listen to his stuff, do you hear anything that sounds um, uniquely Midwestern? Is there anything that you, any themes or, and and the answer can be no. The answer is no is a perfectly acceptable answer, but I'm curious if that's something that you can pull out at all.
1: Okay. Let me think about that. That's a really excellent question because... What it feels like Prince did immediately was like create his own Midwest, his own Minnesota, you know, his own universe. I love the time, you know, like like when I... Like listening to something like Graffiti Bridge, like I, I'm drawn to the time of songs. And so there is that element from the very beginning where like Prince makes Prince music, you know, Prince is issuing his Prince music from Prince's universe, you know, and all these other people, these wonderful artists are in there as well. But you can hear Prince so clearly in everything the time did, even if Prince didn't do it right. himself. Uh, but so is there a Midwestern elements like even Purple Rain, right? Even whatever that is, six years into his career, like he's just, he's already Olympian for me, you know, and there, I delight in sort of the earthbound Minnesotan elements of something like Purple Rain, but I wouldn't say that it sounds like the Midwest. It just sounds like Prince,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. This right. is
1: wild. Like going back to even the earliest records, you know, to, for you to Prince, you know, to controversy itself. I guess I do hear, you know, like Ohio has, you know, the Ohio players, you right. know, and, and and zap and all that stuff. Like there, there's a legitimate Midwestern funk tradition yeah. that you can locate him in. Right. But he made it his own, you know, so quickly that I don't know if it sounds canonically Midwestern to me. Right. Like yeah, the replacements. Right. Sounds are from Minnesota, are from the Midwest. You know, sounds like Minnesota in
0: the Midwest to me. Right. Always, it you sounds know, like mid th- midwinter despair. The replacement Exa-
1: Midwest Christmas. midwinter despair is the exact way yeah. to put it. And maybe I'm drawn to a song like "Sometimes It Snows in April" because it delivers to me like that very human midwinter despair you know and for a second he doesn't sound like prince right like he he right. sounds like a guy in minnesota right right and and those glimpses of that are very important to me but i think even on his earliest records like his whole his own universe is already intact. He's already living in it. It's already starting to dominate us. You know, I, it, in the best way, he doesn't sound like he's from the same place or anywhere near the same place that I'm from, you know, but only right. in these isolated moments. It's yeah. a very convoluted answer, but like, no, it's, it's a, a great, great answer. Questions. No, it's,
0: it, it's a tough question. It was a tough question. It was, no, it was a great answer. I, I appreciate the thought you put it no i mean i mean that cuz it was off the cuff it was off yeah. the cuff you know it's a tough yeah. question um yeah no that's great um i think yeah he he definitely did whatever the midwest is whatever that mythical <laughs> thing is of the midwest he took it and he made it his own like an idealized version a magical version of minnesota of minneapolis of the entirety of the midwest where it's not bleak and gray nine months out of the year where in fact it's shimmering with purple light and and all kinds (laughs) of magical bananas and all these things are there (laughs) yes yes that's what's actually happening um rob i don't want to keep you too long uh because i know you're a busy guy uh is there anything so 60 songs uh you're going to do up to 90 songs. <laughs> yes. Are, are are there are there possibilities that it might even go beyond 90 songs that explain the 90s or are you going to make a hard out at 90 or haven't you decided yet? It's it's possible.
1: I would say as I'm speaking to you right now that we're we're doing 90 and sticking with 90, but I have sitting here now, the same anxiety that I had around, you know, we started with 60, I'm at like 40, 45. And it's like, oh my God, you know, like I want to do these 30 more songs and I have 10, 15 more spots. Like that anxiety, which I thought would be gone when we expanded to 90 is not gone. You know, once again, I am in a position where I'm looking at this spreadsheet and I'm, you know, I'm the sweating guy emoji. (laughs) Right. And so, Maybe even the scream emoji. And so it is possible. It is very possible that, you know, and, and this is not my call entirely, like, you know, that the ringer sure. has been on your overlords supportive. at Spotify, my overlords at Spotify and the ringer yeah. will make the final decision. But I for me personally, excuse me, What the other thing is like. How long can I do this? Like, how long do I feel like I can still do this the way that I want to do this and at the scale I want to do it at? Like, I'm mildly, you know, and and pleasantly surprised that I'm still as enthusiastic about this at episode 80 as I was at episode eight. Right. Like, I just I it would have overwhelmed me. think about doing this for as long as i've done it if i said i'm gonna do it this long like you know in october of 2020 you know but just very gradually it's like no i want to keep doing this no i want to keep doing this and like i still have that feeling whether i will act on that feeling i'm not sure about but like to even still have that feeling And any desire to go forward at all is like a great sign for me, I would hope.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, I like to think (laughs) of your show as the big 10 of podcasting. (laughs) Wow. So far okay. beyond the original parameters, which I really that's appreciate. That's right.
1: We, we're yeah. bringing in USC now. That's, that's oh right. wow. There's that's...
0: nothing more midwestern than USC and UCLA, as we all know. <laughs> um, no, that's excellent. That's great. Uh, I, I mean, I, I really am legitimately a huge fan of the show, and I. I um, well, thank I, you so much. It, man. It's insightful and funny, and uh, it's just great. So, Rob, uh, to to put you on the spot, this is really putting you on the spot. Oh boy! If I was to ask you, and this is what we do with all our guests. If okay. I was to ask you for your top five Prince songs. Okay. And no. I know I didn't okay. prep you for this beforehand. No, you didn't. But I, I this is, the, the ambush is the only real way to do this. The ambush it? is what, that's right. The ambush is what makes it real, Rob. That's what <laughs> makes it real. That's how you know that the lion really wanted that gazelle. It's, it's. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to me the lion five, or
1: the gazelle in this analogy, either all way, right, you can I'm go stalling. with either one.
0: You can go with either I'm one. Stalling.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. The struggle Uh, is real, everyone. Yeah. Number one is Kiss. That's pretty easy. Yeah, it's a good... Yeah. Number... uh, It's going to be boring, and I apologize. Don't be... Don't don't apologize. (laughs) Okay. Kiss and When Doves Cry are pretty easy. Number one. Number two. Yeah. I think. Um... Do I go cool or do I go honest? That's go honest, question. man. Let's go honest.
0: You're <laughs> from the Midwest. Go honest. Cool is not
1: your thing. People from the Midwest. Cool is not your thing. Honest. That is, is true. Yeah. Don't I know it? Okay. All right. Um. Okay. We got kiss. We got when does. You got
0: three slots.
1: I would die for you. Yes. You know. I don't think we get out of this without purple rain in there a couple of times. Right. And so we'll try and keep it at that. Yeah. Um this is recency bias, but I sometimes it snows in April is just extremely I mean, doing it for me at this yeah. point. Um and finally you got that look for the line let's get to ramen which is just the funniest way to describe that sentiment. I could ever conceive of that's there we go i'm gonna i'm gonna agonize over that for the rest of the day but i feel okay about it for
0: i'm glad to know that we will be lingering in your heart long after this interview is over so that's good (laughs) that's yes that's good that's good um that's an excellent that's an excellent top five of course you got the look with the immortal sheena easton scotland's greatest export absolutely um oh yeah she's oh sure 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 absolutely yeah all right Scotland's queen um, <clears throat> Rob. Uh, it's such a pleasure. Uh, tell folks Likewise, where they can man. hear your show.
1: Wow. Well, you can hear it on sixty songs that explain the nineties. Uh, searching on Spotify or the Ringer. I'm on Twitter at plain old Harvilla. H A R V I L L A. Uh, I'm on Instagram I'm on Mastodon don't I I, I can't figure out Mastodon maybe I you can. know what Mastodon
0: is there you go it's
1: it's it's, it's one of the Twitter alternatives you oh, know, for, I when see. The, for when the world finally does burn yeah 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 that's... I'm pretty normal in that sense man I'm just I I'm around yeah you know you can find me at Kroger not actually no we we both mostly do car pickup at Kroger so you can't <laughs> find me there forget it you can find me at Costco occasionally uh, but no, that's our villa Twitter, you know, the show itself. It's I, I try and keep my public presence is as, as, as coherent and as, concentrated as possible
0: and, and we all appreciate that uh everyone okay, i go. cannot recommend highly <laughs> enough give give 60 songs that explain the 90s a listen anyone who listens to our show will really enjoy it it's it's a great it's a great experience and uh rob i can't thank you enough for being a guest on when doves podcast thanks so much for thanks coming. thanks for on.
1: having me man this
0: was a thrill I really No, man it's a pleasure it. thank you